This episode of The How of Car Washing is brought to you by No Pileups. No Pileups is the first of its kind car wash enhancement service that protects your entire tunnel from expensive collisions. No Pileups also provides valuable data on your site performance so you can lower cost and increase production. Learn how you can get free months of service by visiting nopileups.com forward slash how. You can also visit the show notes page for this episode at thehowofcarwashing.com for more information. Welcome to The How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of The How of Car Washing. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Mandy Cookshausen. But before we get started, I want to say hello to one of our longtime listeners, Eric. Eric in Massachusetts. Thanks for being a listener of The How of Business. Mandy, welcome to the show. Good morning, Henry. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you. This is an exciting topic, one that I've been anxious to have somebody come on and chat about, and that is SBA Lending. But let me tell you a little bit about Mandy. Mandy is a business development officer at T-Bank and an expert in SBA lending. Her extensive experience with the SBA spans over 16 years and counting. Uh, Mandy's comprehensive background in all facets of the SBA process, including origination, structuring, processing, closing, and credit underwriting, that all gives her a diverse array of capabilities to pull from to get a transaction funded, which is what we're all looking for at the end of the day to get a project started or to expand our business. She's a current member of the National Association of Government Guaranteed Lenders, a former member of the National Association of Development Companies, and she served on a local certified development company's loan review committee. All of that means is that she's been highly recognized for her service and her knowledge and understands the process of getting a loan um, authorized and underwritten, especially in the SBA arena. Uh, T-Bank, who she works with, is a nationally chartered bank headquartered here where I live in the Dallas, Texas area. They do business nationwide, though, with SBA offices across the country. Mandy and her husband, though, they live in Denver, Colorado, with her two dogs and the cat. So as you guessed it, in this episode, we're going to chat about the SBA lending process. Lots to learn there. I have lots of questions, and it certainly applies to all of us who are either looking to start our first business, whether it's a car wash, a restaurant, whatever it might be, or also to expand to a second location, for example. So once again, Mandy Cookshausen, welcome to the show. Good morning, Henry, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for making the time. I know you're, you're busy and um, this is, this is going to be great information for, for all of us. So uh, I'd like to start with Mandy by having you introduce what SBA lending is, kind of clarify the role of the SBA, but just tell me in general the, the role that SBA plays in helping small businesses get loans. Sure. The U.S. Small Business Administration, or SBA for short, is a government uh, program that enhances uh, loan products made by lenders um, to to businesses that maybe perhaps wouldn't qualify for credit elsewhere or a conventional loan product. 
so the other thing, Mandy, I was wondering about is if you could explain at a high level the different types of programs. I know there's a 504, there's a 7A, I believe there's a veterans program. Just, just give us a high level overview of the different programs and why I might be um, able to get one or the other or choose one or another. Sure. I'll start with the 504 loan program. Uh, that is primarily for long-term assets, such as commercial real estate, both the purchase and construction of, as well as long-term uses, long-term use pieces of equipment, such as big pieces of manufacturing equipment. The basics of that program are that the bank must permanently finance at least 50% of the total project costs. And depending upon the property use and the business type, the borrower may be required to put in 20%, 15%, or 10%. Um, for example, a startup car wash would be required, the borrower would be required to inject a total of 20% of the project costs because it is a startup business and the SBA recognizes a car wash property as special purpose. Mm -hmm. So those two combinations together make the requirement for 20% down. Right, but, but, that's, but that's fantastic though, man. I mean, that's, that's a great opportunity to start a business with just 20% cash. Um, is the other component of the 504 have something to do with how long the loan can be? Isn't that another component of it? Um, well, yes and no. On the on the, the bank's five, the the bank's first mortgage, the fifty percent financing piece, um, right. has to have a term of at least. Uh, 15 years. Okay. Now it can amortize fully over, or it can be amortized over 25 years, meaning that the payments are calculated over 25 years, but the loan would be due in, in 10 or 15 years by the, by the bank. Mm -hmm. um, the remaining uh, 35 to 40% that is funded by the debenture loan or which is the SBA enhancement on a 504 project, um, that is fully amortizing over uh, 20 to 25 years. The 25-year fully amortizing term was something SBA just rolled out here in the past few months. Um, and also the great thing about that portion of the loan is that that interest rate is fixed for the life of the loan. And currently the rates on the debenture loans are running around 5%. So. Yeah, that, that was the program we were fortunate to be able to qualify for for the latest car wash location that yeah. David Begin and I opened. So we went for the with the 504 loan there um, with the locked rate and so forth. So again, the key components there of the 504 are real estate, equipment, those types of things usually have to be there to qualify for a 504. Is that, is that correct? That is correct. Uh, one thing um, to point out though as well, um, the, the bank lender is going to be looking at the overall capitalization or the overall financial health of the project. Right. And so all those items like short-term assets like working capital or inventory are not eligible for the 504 project. Mm -hmm. The lender's going to be looking towards the owners uh, for those sources of capitalization for the project, cash and um, to pay for inventory and to cover expenses. Yeah, yeah, I remember clearly we had to, we had to leave working capital out of it and we, that was our part of our cash portion that we had to come up with separately. Correct. Uh, all right, so the 7A, tell me about that program briefly. Sure. Uh, the 7A program is a, is a lot more flexible than the 504 program because it allows the financing of both long-term and short-term assets. Um, however, there we're limited to a total maximum loan of $5 million, which by the way is the maximum loan on a 504. However, um, again, with that 50% bank portion on a 504 project, we can do much larger projects under the 504 program. Right, right. Yeah. So but in any case, um, 
So that is the nice thing about the 7A program is the flexibility where we can include things like working capital and inventory in addition to the purchase of and construction of real estate. Um, typically, the interest rates on a 7A project are, are going to be variable calendar quarterly. Um, fixed rates are available, but typically the fixed rates are going to be quite a bit higher than the prevailing uh, quarterly adjusting rates. And so... Um, just expect some sticker shock if you ask a lender for a fixed rate on a 7A loan. Right, right. Um, what type of businesses are we typically looking at that would that might go the 7A route? Um, any business. Uh, a car wash, 7A would be just fine. Um, uh, business acquisitions are, are typically what we see 7A is used for or mo most often um, because we can, we can finance those short-term assets. Uh, typically, a business acquisition, the SBA would only allow us a, a total maximum loan term of 10 years, um, and plus it's financing short-term assets, so you can't do a business acquisition for, with a 504 loan. So, right, so um, a business acquisition is a good, is a good qualifier mm -hmm. where I might yes. go 7 in the case where I built my knee wash, the 504 gave us the fixed rate. It gave us those longer terms, but, but what the 7A would have been more variable on the rate, if I'm understanding correctly, but what else? What else is different there? Um, well, we, depending upon, um, the, the loan terms are based upon the largest use of the loan proceeds. So if there's a construction and commercial real estate component in, included in a 7A project, most likely we're going to be able to go out a full 25 years. Um, um, however, if it's only for uh, like uh, the acquisition of just a, a business and the assets are like office equipment etc., then the maximum loan term would, would only be 10 years. Okay. Um, the other kind of drawback on the 7A program is that the SBA requires um, lenders to look at the assets of the business in an effort to fully secure the loan with collateral. And in the case that the business assets are not acceptable or don't have a value to, to provide that collateral coverage that SBA requires, then SBA requires the lender to look to the personal assets of the owners. So a lot of times um, on 7A projects uh, that include that working capital component, because working capital isn't something that's collateralized, something that we can count in our collateral coverage, right. we usually have to take additional collateral. I see. Okay. All right. And then I, I believe there are some veteran specific programs or program. Is that correct? There, there are. Uh, and it, it's, it's not necessarily that it's veteran specific programs. And what it is, is that there is a fee waiver um, for veterans um, for loans up to 350. So they don't have to pay that up, upfront guarantee fee. Um, and as long as that program is at a zero subsidy, meaning the, the program is not costing taxpayers money and is paying for itself, then the guar upfront guarantee fee is waived. And and I just read for fiscal year 19, which starts October 1, um, that's continuing on. So Yeah, that's a big deal. I mean, those, those, mm -hmm. those fees are, you know, I'm not going to say significant, but they're, they're sizable. And that's a huge savings opportunity for a veteran. It, it, exactly, for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, and would, the thing I've always had a challenge with with SBA loans is that I seem to have this opinion that it's really for an existing business owner to expand and not so much for a new business owner who has never been in business and is starting their first business. Tell me where I'm wrong there or your experiences or what you're seeing is the reality of that. Sure. Well, startups by nature are just hard, hard to finance. Um, uh, speaking for myself, uh, many of the car wash projects I see come across my desk are startup. Um, and so, the, the the SBA program, um, I would, 
I would, the spirit of it is owner occupied and startup businesses and getting capital um, to those small businesses and entrepreneurs that otherwise wouldn't qualify. And owner occupied um, means that you're, I'm going to actively participate in the business. Is that right? Exactly. Actively participate in the operation and daily oversight of the business. That's what that means. Yeah. Uh, the SBA doesn't want um, passive or investment type uh, projects. Those and are the, ar the argument there is that that's a business that therefore is high. The statistics probably show that it's a higher failure rate if the owner is not actively involved. Is that fair? Um, it, that may have some component to do with it. But I, again, it just uh, the SBA, the, the program isn't meant to help investors invest more and get, make more money. It's, I it's see. for the entrepreneurs right, to start right, their right. own business. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So, so you, it's, uh, we'll get to the other components of my credit worthiness, but I, mm -hmm. I could get an SBA loan, even if it's my first time business um, and it's a new business. Is that true? Yes, as long as you, as a borrower is able to demonstrate that he or, he or she has done his or her homework in the in the industry, um, I've financed a ton of uh, startup car washes and gas stations, uh, for that matter. Um, I, you know, uh, a lot of the borrowers I work with, particularly the car wash borrowers, they go to the car wash colleges. Um, they uh, find a mentor in their local market area. Uh, probably Henry, you are are someone that they talk with, and and just knowing that a borrower does that kind of work and due diligence um, on a business that they want to get into, that goes such a long way. Uh, that's That falls under the character and the five C's of credit, which we can talk about later. How does that, so on that point, Mandy, since you brought it up, how does that get communicated to the lender and the SBA? Is that in the business plan? Are you looking for those things in the business plan? Absolutely. That's exactly what we're, what we're looking for is uh, an owner, a borrower to uh, put together a business plan that details his or her feasibility and analysis of the business. Uh, if they build it, why will people come, so to speak? Um, also to uh, give a a platform to provide um, detailed assumptions to the revenue and expense projections that the borrower has come up with, uh, talk about the market, talk about their applicable background. Um, the business plan is really where that information should be should be held. Um, also, uh, T-Bank, I like to talk to my borrowers directly and talk to talk to the borrower about these things as well. And it's not so much a goal uh, to put a borrower on the spot and say, oh, Katya, you didn't know this. It's more of to have a conversation and to assess the the owner's acumen and uh, due diligence on on their project. Yeah, no, I can understand that. And I'm curious if you if you do chat with someone or you look at the business plan and they don't you don't assess that they quite have the acumen. What do you typically do? Do you um, you know send them to score or send them to somewhere to get that or or bring in a partner or a consultant? How do you usually guide someone in that situation? Exactly. We would recommend them to score um, or, or recommend them to someone uh, such as yourself, someone that would be able to, to guide them and give them some consulting or, or um, expert advice on, on how to proceed and, and get that knowledge or due diligence that the lender is going to be looking for and asking about to assess the acumen. Yeah. Okay, good, good. All right, let's talk about one technical detail, which is who signs or guarantees the loan. And let's talk about what guarantee means. Uh, I, I think it's anybody who's uh, over 19% as far as capital contribution has to sign, but explain that to me. And is it different between the different programs? 
Uh, it, it, you're, you're, you're close. It's, it's any 20% or more. 20% or more. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. And that's across um, all programs. Um, however, um, it, and that's typically what lenders are looking for. Any owner that's 20% or more, they're looking for the personal guarantee. And um, if you'll recall earlier when I was talking about the um, 7A loan program, any 20% or more owner um, those personal assets of those owners are what would be looked at for additional collateral on a 7A loan. So that's something to keep in, in mind as well. Um, the personal guarantee is just that, that if the business fails, uh, then the personal guarantees would, um, I guess, be invoked. <laughs> right. And hopefully the personal guarantors would step up and, and repay the loan in the event the business wasn't able or the liquidation of collateral didn't satisfy the loan. Right. And I do, I do want to put out one, one uh, caveat. SBA just rolled out in its latest SOP uh, just in January of 2018 um, that when deemed necessary for credit or other reasons, the SBA for a loan processed even on a delegated basis, which is a PLP lender, um, they may require other appropriate individuals to provide a full or limited guarantee. Um, for example, an individual with a minority ownership or no ownership interest, interest in the applicant business, um, but that person may be critical to the operation of the business, and SBA may look to require that personal guarantee. So, Wow, that's a, yeah, that's that's a, a lot there. Uh, yeah. so, so is that in scenarios where the primary borrower or the, the primary stakeholder doesn't have the credit worthiness, or is it beyond that? That would be in a situation where uh, I, like a business would be just on the border of uh, being maybe uh, passive, passively owned. Um, okay. For example, like a like a car wash. If a car wash, if the fifty one percent owner uh, wasn't actively involved in the daily operation, but the fifteen percent owner was the manager. I see. We would probably want the guarantee of that fifteen percent manager because okay. that person's actively o overseeing the daily operations. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, Right. And that's just something, you know, we, we had to bring that into consideration as we were structuring our capital and, and investors, because it's hard to, it's hard to tell an investor who's a passive, simply a financial investor that, hey, you have to guarantee the loan as well. Most people are not going to want to do that if they're not part of the ownership or the management structure. Right. So that's why that's important. Right. Um. Okay, so we talked about the different types of businesses we've touched on it that are best suited for an SBA loan, but I want to come back to that. You know, we talk, we have talked about a car wash. The car wash has a couple of key ingredients. It's, it's got a piece of real estate that serves as collateral, um, and there's equipment, and there's some kind of construction, although, as you call it, it's limited use. In other words, that building probably can't be used for much else than a car wash, so it's got some limited value. But though that type of business where there's real estate and there's equipment, that tends to lend itself for an SBA loan. What other types of businesses do you see that, that are a good fit for an SBA loan? Uh, sure. I, I mentioned earlier, I think that the term business acquisition and, and usually when uh, we, we talk about those, those types of projects, those usually don't come with a real estate or tangible asset component. Those are usually um, projects where the goodwill or the intangible uh, assets are trading hands. Uh, the, the value of the business is um, appraised by a business valuation appraiser. Um, and again, it's, in, it's intangibles. <laughs> they, the, 
those are aren't hard assets and so the SBA program is is a really good one for that because even though I mentioned on the 7a program um, that you know we have to look to the business assets and of course in that scenario I just described the business assets would not be sufficient to cover the collateral requirements on the loan so we'd have to look to the personal assets of the owners and let's say for some reason or you know or it could even be typical um, the owners don't own any other real estate they they rent an apartment or or what have you um, if the credit checks out otherwise we're able to still make that 7a loan even though there aren't um, there isn't full, uh, sufficient collateral the the SBA guarantee at 75% would uh, step in and mitigate that lack of collateral or one of that particular sea of credit. But that's in a, so that's in the case of an acquisition and part of it there is the stability and the historical financials of the existing business that's making that acquisition. So that's part of why that is favorable for an SBA loan, right? Exactly. In other words, um, to, instead of being a collateral-based loan, it is a cash flow-based loan. Cash flow-based so loan, yeah. That I, I'm able to show that my existing business is successful, has the cash flow, or we need money to acquire this additional business that'll help us grow our business. Exactly. Yep. All right. What about a situation like, let's say, which was very common, a restaurant. It's my first restaurant. I'm going to lease a space in a, in a shopping center, some equipment, but not a lot. Is that typically, I know there are always exceptions, but is that typically a good candidate or not a good candidate for an SBA loan? That typically is a good candidate for an SBA loan, yes, because it's it's a startup source of repayment, um, not a lot of collateral, um, and again, depending, hopefully uh, in this scenario, we've got a borrower that's really seasoned in the restaurant industry, or we have a franchise that uh, can mitigate the borrower's lack of experience. How important is the franchise component? Because I've, I've heard different things on that from it doesn't really matter to it really helps. What, how, how much does... Does the lender and the SBA component of it, how much is that really looked at? It depends upon the, the concept. Um, and in my past experience with franchises, some daycare franchises are really good about helping their franchisees um, because their franchisees are not necessarily um, educators. They are, they are just the business minds behind the operations of the business. And so in that capacity, the franchisor really steps in and helps find the directors, the, the, the people that have the education background to help operate the school. Interesting. Uh, um, yeah. And, and, and in those, those franchises, we really like working with them because the failure rate is really, really low. Mm -hmm. um, in other situations, um, you know, we've seen where franchisors have not helped and have not, um, uh, stepped in and provided its franchisee with help when the business starts uh, failing or not doing so well. Um, and so without throwing out any names based upon our, our experience, we, we kind of can navigate the, between those two kinds of yeah. franchises yeah. And, can the, and can assess the management as needed based upon those two. Right. It's, it's not, it's not uh, too dissimilar from what you're looking at in the way of experience or have they, has the um, prospective business owner or borrower gotten guidance from the right people? Do they have the business acumen? You're looking at the franchise as another one of those things is that, that can help with uh, providing that guidance and that expertise. And so that's what you look at. But every franchise is different. Exactly. Um, I want to go back to a related point here. We mentioned guarantee. So guaranteeing the loan. And when we built the second car wash, uh, both David and I had to sign and say that if the car wash fails, we, we still will repay the loan. 
but that's different from, uh, from uh, collateral or collateralizing or providing personal collateral. Will you explain the difference just on those two terms so we understand that? Sure. So an unsecured personal guarantee would mean that, um, in the most common instance, would mean that we're, a lender is not taking a lien on the personal residence of the, the owner. Uh, most of the time, a, guaranteed, or, or a personal guarantee is secured by a tangible commercial real, or a real estate asset, such as a, a piece of residential real estate. And a secured guarantee, um, the guarantor is basically saying that he or she agrees to liquidate that piece of collateral that secures their guarantee in addition to being personally responsible for the repayment of the right. loan. And that could be some of, it could be a physical asset like a home or rental property. It could be investment assets, could be some combination thereof, right? Exactly. Yes. In unsecured, there's, there's no collateral of mine that I'm pledging. It's just my, my uh, agreement to pay. Um, and in that case, what can happen to me if I don't pay is a judgment against me, but nobody can come and take any of my property or investments if it's unsecured. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Just wanted to clarify. And, and again, there's different situations when it might require, I might require to put up some collateral for it to be secured with SBA loans sometimes. Is that correct? Um, if it's there and it's available, um, it'll, it'd most commonly happen under the 7A program. Um, but in some cases um, on a 504 project, if the, the project is unsecured, um, but it makes sense to go ahead and move forward with it. Otherwise, the, the CDC and SBA may look for additional collateral, um, but it's more common on the 7A side. Got it. This episode of the How a Car Washing is brought to you by No Pileups. Collisions are a real problem that every operator has to deal with. We push cars further apart, slow down chain speeds, and even put employees in the tunnel to look out for hopped rollers. And no matter what we do, we have to choose. Do we take a chance with our customer's vehicle to wash more cars? Now there's a better solution, one that doesn't trade production for safety. No Pileups is a new type of anti-collision service that protects your whole tunnel without slowing things down. Computer vision technology detects accidents before they happen and stops the conveyor automatically, keeping any pileups from ruining a good day. No Pileups doesn't just lower claims costs. It's so fast and reliable, you can reduce your conveyor downtime and increase output during peak times of the day up to 20 more cars per hour. Your employees can focus on washing cars instead of worrying about collisions while your customers enjoy spotless service every time. Visit nopileups.com forward slash how to learn how you can receive free months of no pileups just for being a How of Car Washing listener. You can also find the link at our website, thehowofcarwashing.com. No pileups. Wash more, worry less. All right, so I, I want to summarize again the, some of the differences between a conventional loan and an SBA loan. We've talked about how we get there, how, how we end up, and we'll talk more about how we qualify personally. But we touched on a couple of points, uh, the term sometimes, the locked-in rates. 
What are some of the other key differences, generally speaking, because I know this changes every day and there's all types of conventional loan programs, but what are some of those key differences between an SBA loan and a conventional loan? Sure. Um, most commonly, what I hear uh, borrowers um, complain about, and fair enough, are the guarantee fees. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, and and, and they, they, can, they kind of can be onerous, and they do have a lot of sticker shock, especially the higher the loan amount, the higher the fees are going to be because the fees are based upon uh, the overall loan amount. Uh, so in that regard, um, it's, let me explain a little bit about the fees. Uh, to be able for the borrower to participate in the SBA program, uh, the fee is necessary to keep the program going going. Um, I think right now the SBA is still zero subsidy, meaning it's not costing the taxpayers anything because it pays for itself. From these um, fees that, that's from what these funds fees. the program. Yep. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so um, I, to point out uh, the fees, again, they do carry some sticker shock with them, but the fees are can be financed um, in the loan and are fully amortized over the life of the loan. So in the long run, the guarantee fees financed over a 25-year loan don't add that much to the monthly debt service. So on conventional loans, if I understand correctly, um, sometimes lenders want points up front. They're right. not financed in the loan. Um, so that's a, that's a big difference. And so that's usually how I try to uh, calm, a, calm a borrower's concerns <laughs> over the large guarantee fees. So yeah, no, I guess it is, like you said, a sticker shock. But, but again, yeah. when you understand that it gets rolled into the loan over that period of time, that's, that's a different situation. Exactly. Again, the benefit being, like you talked about with the 7A, um, or actually the 504 or, or both, uh, the ability of the 504 to lock in the rate for a longer period of time. That was another thing that, that we thought was an advantage as it turned out to go with an SBA loan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the fully amortizing term is another. Mm -hmm. um, the, the fully amortizing in banker speak, um, that just means that the repayment of the loan is based upon the full repayment of that loan over the, the term of the loan, whether that be 10, 15, or 25 years. Um, conventional loans, uh, conversely, they typically balloon or come due in five to 10 years, and whatever unpaid principal balance that remains is due and payable at that time. And so right. a lender, a borrower is out there, you know, especially in this raising interest rate environment, it could be a scary thing, you know, especially when they were at interest rates so low five or 10 years ago to be coming out into the market now with five and 6%. So. Agreed. Uh, the other advantage I think can be the, the loan to value, the, the ability to do 20% or even lower, that typically is going to be a little higher with conventional loans in my experience. Uh, for sure. Like a, a car wash, on a again, being that special purpose or limited use nature property, uh, we'd probably be looking to be around 70 or 75% loan to value on a, com on a conventional basis. So that's, you know, 25, 30% down for a borrower to put. And that's, that's quite a contrast. 20% um, is, uh, is quite a bit less to get into a startup business. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the five C's of credit. I think everybody has probably heard of that one way or another. It's, it's no different than when it comes into play when we go to borrow to buy a house or buy a car on credit. It applies here as well. So just introduce that and, and some of the, the key takeaways there and how important that is to the overall process of qualifying for a loan, not to mention an SBA loan. Sure. Uh, the five C's of credit are um, basically just a system that uh, bankers use to gauge the credit worthiness of potential borrowers. Uh, the five C's stand for credit, character, capacity, capital, 
collateral and conditions. I think I added, no, there's five credit character capacity, capital <laughs> collateral and conditions. <laughs> um, so I'll start with uh, character. Um, sometimes that's called the credit history. Um, and that refers to a borrower's reputation or track parent track record for paying debts. Um, on an SBA project, we're not only looking at the, the personal credit history, but we also go ahead and look at the business credit history as well. Um, so these reports, they contain information on collection accounts, judgments, liens, bankruptcies, etc. Um, and they just kind of give us an idea of what the overall borrower um, looks like. Um, of the five C's of credit, I think the character is probably the most important, and um, most lenders, I would imagine, give a lot of weight to it as well. Um, that said, one doesn't need to have a stellar credit history with an 800 credit score, um, and to, especially to qualify for an SBA loan. However, please be upfront. If you have any personal or business credit issues, um, depending upon the circumstances and reasonable expectations, explanation that could be provided. Um, a negative credit issue doesn't necessarily mean um, you can't qualify for an SBA loan or even a conventional loan, but just be upfront about the credit issues if you have any. Yeah, yeah I think that's because you're going to find out. <laughs> Not to be able to hide it, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, the next C I'll talk about is the capacity. And it, the capacity measures a borrower's ability to repay the loan um, by, again, comparing the the level of income against the recurring debts or debt service, repayment ability in other words. Um, so on an SBA project, again, we not only look for the how the business is able to repay the loan, but also what is called a global assessment. And that means looking at the individual or, or ownership group of personal income and uh, debts and looking at that overall global capacity for uh, the business and owners to support business and personal debt. Let me ask you a question on this point, mm -hmm. Mandy, that, mm -hmm. that I always get that's, you know, tricky. I'm a first-time business owner. I, I've, you know, been working in the corporate world, let's say. I have an income, W-2 income. I'm going to start this business. Do I need to keep that job for a period of time to show income or, or you know, that, that tricky component of when do I leave my job, but then I don't have W-2 to show for this component of the five C's? Because if I don't have, if I leave my job and now I don't have the W-2 income to show this ability to repay, right? does that kill my chances now of qualifying for this loan? And the reason I'm, I'm kind of taking my time on answering that is because it's kind of a double-edged sword. And, and, yeah. and, and here's why. Um, of course, W-2 outside wage income should be a strength. However, uh, especially if it's a startup business, a lender's radar is going to go up a little bit because how much time is the borrower going to be devoted to the W-2 job versus paying attention to the new business he's, he or she's trying to start up. In other words, you, you know that eventually, because I've told you I'm going to fully manage this business, that I'm going to have to probably let go of that job, right? So you know that. The bank exactly. knows that. Exactly. Okay. And that's and, and in T-Bank's opinion, that's what we're looking for. We want that entrepreneur that is going to um, certainly be involved in the, in the business. Um, it, W-2 income is, is a nice thing to have, but eventually we would like the business to be the 100% focus of the borrower. And again, going back to the spirit of the SBA program, if the borrower typically has a day job, then um, whatever's outside that is going to be kind of passive and not owner occupied. So do, do, does what I have in the way of other capital assets, investments, investment income, uh, savings, do those things then come more to bear because you, you know I'm going to be letting go of that job to manage this business? 
Absolutely. And that, that capital is the next C of credit. Um, absolutely. So we'll be looking at, um, again, uh, the projection repayment or projected revenue and expenses. Does the owner include a salary for him or herself in the, in the projected expenses that's adequate to um, cover the, the personal debt re requirements and living expenses of that individual? Um, if not, what is the, what is the plan B until the, that, until that time? Um, does the spouse have outside income? that could be relied upon? And if so, is the spouse willing to guarantee the loan, et cetera? Right. Those are two great points. I think that that's one of the mistakes I often see in financial performance for a new business is there's no allocation for what you're going to pay yourself. And sometimes we think we're, we're, that's good because we're minimizing the expenses, but you look at it as, well, wait a second, how are you going to continue to pay your bills? Um, and not create a, a, a greater financial burden for yourself. So it's a part of testing the business model to make sure that it can support paying you something even in the early days of the business, right? Exactly. And that's that global analysis that we do where we analyze the personal income and debts of the owner as well as the uh, projected or recurring income of the business and, and its expenses as well. And what's that overall picture look like for the repayment ability and everyone, the bank to get paid, the borrower to be able to live and pay his bills personally as well. Okay. We don't have time to get into all of the five C's. So I want to summarize okay. it this way. Um, as I'm planning, and a lot of times when we go to start, especially our first business, it's a couple years in the making. What can I do to, to make those things uh, show in the best light? Obviously, my credit rating, there's a lot that people can research and learn about to get, not my credit rating, my credit score rather. But are there any things that, that you, when you meet with someone and they're not ready because the five C's are not where they should be, what's some high-level guidance you usually offer on that? Again, meeting with the, the local score offices, um, those can help. Um, depending on what industry you're, uh, one is looking to delve into, whether it be car wash, hospitality, um, gas station, what have you, find a mentor. Um, and and if, if, if possible, try to try to work in that particular business and get, a, get your arms around it. And again, there's resources out there, I think, across all industries to educate oneself um, if, if, if necessary. And, and even, even as a bank, I'm not going to say, hey, borrower, um, we're not going to do your deal because of this. I, again, we would recommend and, and offer some suggestions, um, but definitely SCORE would be the best. Um, and then Car Wash College, if it's a car wash, um, there's uh, similar colleges for hospitality uh, Franchises also also are a great way to break into a, a startup business um, because they do, some of them do offer that support. Right, right. Yeah, great tips. Okay. Um, let's talk about at a high level, the overall process, because that's something I think also that, that confuses people. Generally, my understanding has been that if I have to go SBA or I go SBA, it's going to be a slightly longer process. Tell me if that's true and why and just walk me through it at a high level. Sure. A lot of it is all going to, to um, depend upon the nature of the project. And I'm just going to start, speak from a straightforward uh, general 7A or 504 project, whether it be a car wash or what have you, but there's no concern over eligibility or anything like that. Um, it should be a very straightforward process. They, the SBA has uh, has 
come miles with reducing the amount of paperwork that, that uh, used to be required as far as the application um, that the lender has to submit as well as what the borrower needs to complete. Um, most of the time, uh, the lender is going to help the borrower with all that SBA paperwork. So as long as a borrower has the right partner uh, in nav helping navigate uh, he or she through an SBA uh, loan product, it should be a lot less pain, painless than what everybody thinks it's going to be. Um, and, and it's also not a loan of last resort. It's not, um, we're just going to be giving money away or anything. It, like I said, the borrowers got to do the due diligence, put together that business plan and um, demonstrate to us the acumen, acumen that they, they have to, to take out a loan and repay us uh, for, with their business model that they plan on operating. Absolutely. How long typically would you, do you give guidance to someone that the process is going to take from, let's say from submitting my initial application with T-Bank to closing on the loan? How, how, and this an SBA loan we're talking about. Without construction or uh, without construction. Right. Because um, that, that, that can, that's a big variable. <laughs> that's a big right? deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on, a t on a typical, even if it's just a real estate purchase, no construction, I would say, um, 60 to 90 days with the exception occasionally running into 120 days because, um, you know, appraisals come in short, environmentals come back dirty, those kinds of things. There's things that you have to deal with during the closing process. It's not just a straight line. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, what, what else did I, have I not asked you about that you often have to clarify that is a misconception or a misunderstanding about the SBA loan process? Is there anything else I didn't ask you about that you often have to explain or clarify for people about the SBA loan process? The biggest one I think is, is, is understanding the difference between passive businesses and owner-occupied businesses. I think that's the, that's where a lot of borrowers miss the mark. Um, particularly like in, in the hospitality industry, um, you know, a, a borrower just because he or she's putting up the capital and putting the, putting the down payment uh, towards the project, they might have a huge portfolio of, of hotels. And so then they're re not really managing those mm -hmm. hotels any longer, right? That, so that's more of a passive um, um, type of project. Um, and again, when it's passive as, as qualified by the SBA, that does not qualify for an SBA loan. Correct. It would not be eligible. It, the, the spirit of the program is is owner occupied, and so that's probably one of the the biggest conceptions. Um, I, I, I people not understanding that that SBA is for small business loans. We can't do multifamily. Um, we can't do developer projects. Uh, things like that. It really is for businesses. Yeah, but it can catch you in other ways, Mandy. I'll tell you a story. I was in the process of selling. Uh, this is about. Uh, four years ago now, selling a sweet salon business that I owned. Oh, yeah. Two locations. We, we were actively participating. The, the buyers had been going through the process SBA, and then literally almost at the 11th hour, the SBA changed the rules on sweet salons yes. and reclassified them as passive. And so that almost killed the deal for us. Fortunately, the buyer had enough creditworthiness to go other routes. But um, it's just something that, like you said, I, I think the key, a key point you made earlier was you got to go with a bank and a lender that'll help you navigate this process. Um, and that's something that it wasn't the bank's fault. It's something that changed at, at that point in time in the process. But it's not always that clearly defined as to what's passive and what's not. You got to make sure you understand that. And the lender that you're working with helps you with that. Is that fair? 
That is that is a very fair statement. And yes, SBA, um, it, it's it's a it's a fickle creature. SBA can be, um, and it, it it changes it changes a lot. Um, and so. Um, if you align yourself with a lender that keeps on top of those changes and um, is kind of thinking ahead when thing, things like that change, um, that, that's, you won't be let down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, and I think the other thing that we touched on that's a big, uh, I just heard it recently from someone as to why they didn't even consider lending and SBA lending was the fees. But the point that you can roll those into the loan and have them amortized over the length of, the, of that life of the loan that really takes, it certainly takes the sting out of it. Um, yeah, there's, there's, you know, higher cost of capital. But when I've run the numbers and I just did it on this last car wash project, it still makes a heck of a lot of sense because of the other components that are favorable, like the 20% cash in, the length of the term, the locked in rate, all those things still for us outweighed those fees that we were able to roll into the loan anyway. Exactly, and I'm and I'm glad to hear that you that you understand that those were um, it, it, it's an SBA requirement, and it's not it's it's not fees that are going to the lender. We're not collecting them. Well, that's a good point because that I think that is a misconception, and I probably uh, suffer from it as well. That I think everybody's just making a bunch of money on these fees, meaning the bank and the whoever else is in the role, but all of those fees you're saying go to fund the SBA project. Is that correct, or the F SBA program rather? Correct. Correct. The SBA guarantee fee is not something T-Bank or any other lender gets to keep. It goes directly to the SBA. Good. Good clarification. All right. We'll start to wrap it up. Uh, summarize for me then what T-Bank offers in this area of lending and specifically SBA lending. Sure. I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have not heard of T-Bank. Um, we are a small bank based out of uh, Dallas, Texas, and we kind of pride ourselves on not being a traditional big bank lender, uh, but we try to be a true financial partner. And we have an entrepreneurial credit philosophy um, designed to try to help all the small businesses um, that we possibly can reach. Um, not only do we have construction and commercial real estate expertise, as I touched on, we have the ability to do large under collateralized projects like business acquisitions that don't include the purchase of real estate. Um, we also specialize in finding solutions for complex and challenging deals, as well as um, we have expertise in navigating not only the 7A and 504 programs, um, but USDA as well. So. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, a lot of people outside of Texas have not heard of T-Bank. I have, obviously, because I live in the Dallas area, and, and so I've, I've seen them forever. Uh, but yes, a lot of people outside of the Texas area probably have never heard of T-Bank. Um, so it's good for everybody to get exposure to that because it's definitely a viable option. And we, and um, we are nationally. We, we do have a national footprint, yes. That's right. Yeah, that's important to, to understand as well. All right. What's one thing, Mandy, that you want us to take away from this conversation that we've had on SBA lending? What, what's one thing you want me to remember from this? With the right point person to assist, SBA and USDA loan products um, can be easily accessible and easy to navigate. And where do you want us to go online to learn more? www.tbank.com. Wonderful. And if you didn't get that, we'll have that link as well as other information and other links on the show notes page for this episode at thehowwoodcarwashing.com. We probably will also release this episode, Mandy, on thehowwoodbusiness.com because it's such great information for both of our audiences. 
But howofcarwashing.com, you can find all of the links and other details on this episode. Mandy, this has been fantastic. We could go on for another hour. I'm probably going to see if I can convince you to come back on at a future date. Thanks for sharing all this information. Clarified a lot of things for me. Um, great sharing of knowledge. Thanks for being with us today. I appreciate it, Henry. Thank you so much. I'd love to come back. This is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Car Washing. And my guest again was Mandy Cookshausen with T-Bank. We release episodes every two weeks on Wednesdays, and you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at thehowofcarwashing.com. And thanks to our show sponsor, No Pileups, the collision avoidance solution for your car wash. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.